Hello and welcome to yet another edition of 353rd, a bi-weekly podcast discussing the impact of the internet on business. Today is Wednesday, April 24th. This is episode 53. I'm your illustrious host, Anders Brownworth. And this is your other host, Scott Barstow. We thought we would dive into a discussion about Node, Node.js. We've talked about Node before, uh, but there is a very uh, important inflection point, I think, that we're, we're seeing. And so we figured we would jump into it. And uh, Scott has been looking at some numbers, particularly in package growth. Um, yeah, so for those of you that don't know how node works node has npm which is the node package manager and that's how you essentially download libraries to use in your application so the equivalent in ruby would be ruby gems the equivalent in java would be jars and the equivalent in net would be you know dlls or libraries that you download so one of the more interesting stats is that as of today npm uh, which is the site that manages all of the and distributes all node packages, is reporting that that there are twenty almost twenty nine thousand node packages available for download. Which, which that, that's a, that's an amazing statistic. It is an amazing statistic, and here's what makes it more amazing: since January, and so if you compare that to Ruby, which obviously is a much more mature language. In terms of just time in the market and developer, you know, developers participating, all that sort of thing, uh, Ruby the gems count is approaching sixty thousand. Yeah. So Node is roughly half, let's say, just for just to make it simple. Yeah. And but what's interesting is that the trajectory in Node packages is going through the roof since January of this year. It's grown by forty one percent. That's in, in, in January staggering. this year, there was there was right around twenty thousand packages in NPM. Yeah, and today there's close to twenty nine thousand, forty one percent growth. That's and amazing. The, and this shows no signs of stopping. It's about to overtake Pi Pi in terms yeah. of, uh, and I that's probably going to happen sometime in the next month or so in terms of package count. And what's been interesting for me is. We've been both you and I have been working extensively in Node over the last two to three months, let's say, yeah. at least. And what's been interesting is that there's almost no functionality that you need that you can't get a package for. So, things as simple as Stripe or you know all these uh, third-party applications are now available. Just as you don't have to write your own code, you don't. It's somebody has done the work. To make these, to make other applications and functionality easily accessible within Node, and I think that's what was missing. If we go back six nine months ago, yeah. uh, almost everything you did in Node, you had to write yourself. So if you wanted to integrate to some third party REST API, whether that was Twitter or probably Twitter was probably one of the first ones. That's a bad example, but you know, some uh, package like Stripe or a package, you know, or just some REST API, you were probably writing that code yourself. Yeah. And what's what we're starting to see right now is that if it's if the if these third party applications are at all popular, somebody's written the NPM and has made it publicly accessible. All NPMs, as far as I know, are free, freely distributed. I haven't run into one yet where you, where I've had to pay for it. Yeah, 
And here, here's the thing with this. I, I think it's it, this is totally, uh, uh, you know, uh, just a, a, a guess. I have no real numbers to back this up, but it seems that all the really good coders are are coding npm packages like some of the stuff the quality of some of the stuff you see coming out is just off the charts it's not me too ish or i mean these are these are very high quality packages yeah uh, you you could chalk some of that up to the fact that uh, javascript which has been around since uh, 96 or so had never really had a package manager because there wasn't really a a way to do it when all you're doing is is pushing stuff into the uh, browser. But when you start talking about running server-side apps and start doing app.js and all these other things, suddenly the need for a package manager is very acute. So the package manager for JavaScript came along way, way, way late. So the language had been rolling for 15 years or something. That's and right. now you have this package. So the guys writing packages are already up to speed. They're not learning. And I think that's a key difference because you look at uh, CPAN for uh, Perl. I mean, that was around since almost day one. That's right. Yeah, uh, Perl was really the original scripting language of the internet. Yeah, and and yeah, because I remember writing all those CGIs in Perl. I first started writing CGIs in C, and then uh, then Perl became the dominant language for that. But all of that stuff. I mean, I had a package manager for a long. Now, the just in terms of numbers. First of all, Ruby gems, the the gems. There's more gems than anything else. Uh, I think I think uh, Node passed uh, CPAN or the Perl package manager a good bit ago. Now CPAN's growth rate is very very sluggish at this point, uh, but uh, you know compare it to something that's newer like. Uh, you know, maybe uh, gems. So Ruby and uh, Ruby was around and then gems showed up and, you know, long about, I think, I'm not really sure, but long about the time that rails kind of took off, they took off in tandem. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that helped them really. And, and, and all of the really good coders were there. Uh, and I'm not saying there aren't good coders uh, coding gems these days. There f- certainly are. But the quality, just the general quality amongst the average package in NPM is extremely high. And I think that makes a lot of people say, hey, we have to, you know, for Stripe, we have to have an NPM uh, package and, uh, you know, kind of go from there. Yeah, I think, I think what's driving a lot of the adoption of Node is something you mentioned earlier, and that is that everybody knows JavaScript. Yeah. And with the advent of things like CoffeeScript, which makes JavaScript feel more like every other language, because you can declare classes and you know all those kind of things in a syntax that feels a lot like any other language you would you would use, as opposed to the old JavaScript syntax, which kind of had this weird. You know, I always found the old JavaScript <laughs> syntax for declaring classes. You have you have this prototype thing. And you don't ever say, you know, class, blah. Yeah. And so with CoffeeScript, they sort of hid all of the ugliness of JavaScript and all the things that I never really liked as a purist. (laughs) And just, you know, because if you ever coded in C-like languages, that's what you're, that's what you're used to, whether it's Java or C Sharp or C++ or 
Objective-C, you have kind of the same way of thinking about how code is organized. Yeah. And JavaScript just sort of took that and and you know tossed it out the window. Well, and I think and, yeah. It, and, and and what so what you have now is you have all these people who have who have been coding in JavaScript since since the earliest days. Yeah. Right. I mean, like you said, ninety six, ninety seven, somewhere in there, and you have so you have all of this knowledge that now can be applied to a back end infrastructure you don't have to have one language to code the back end and one language to do dynamic fun stuff on the front end it's all the same it all works the same way you know you have callbacks and it's all asynchronous and so everything you're used to with jquery and the most popular javascript stuff now is available almost the exact same sort of syntax and way of organizing code yeah on the back end now yeah so it, uh, I think it makes sense to to quickly chat through what it takes uh, to create an npm package. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so you, you you literally create a directory, make a file called package.json, put in a, a few required fields, like for example the version of the app and the name of the app that you're that you're making. And then throw your code in, in in that directory as well. And then there's an npm command that you can use that creates the package in. Uh, so you do this in the terminal, uh, creates a package at uh, at the npm site, and then uh, points to you know maybe for example GitHub wherever you have your code. And that allows uh, once once you have that set up and and you've gotten a name that that isn't already taken. Anybody else, anywhere else in the world can just say npm install and then your package name. And it comes in and plops it into a directory on the local. I mean, you could do it globally too, but, but it pops it into the local directory under node modules. Uh, and then you can just include those in your, in your app. And the, the handy thing there and the really the difference there is you, literally you are installing everything you need under that same directory. And that, I think, is a really key point about Node. You have this Node modules folder sitting underneath your main application directory. And so what it allows you to do is easily version or take and compile and distribute the application. It's just dead simple. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other, you know, so the NPM syntax and framework is a lot like RubyGems. I think anybody that's used Ruby before would be like, oh, I get this yeah. totally because yeah. it's it's almost the same thing. It's gem install versus npm install. It's, yeah. I mean, it's almost the same syntax. And if you're building a gem, you know, the publishing of gems is a lot like the publishing of an npm module. Yeah. And so I think the and I'm sure that was done on purpose because Ruby is so. That's one of the things that's been so great about Ruby is that. They've made that process so simple. Yeah, very, very clean. It's a, it's kind of the new way to do. If you compare it to uh, what it was like to install Perl packages with CPAN, uh, they're all always installed globally, and then you change a version of Perl, and you gotta you know reinstall everything. Everything starts blowing up. It's just a it's just a <clears throat> sort of a more simple. Maybe it's slightly more wasteful because you end up having a bunch of copies of things if you install a bunch of things in different places. But 
uh, it's self-contained and it doesn't break. I mean, it just works. That's the key. So yeah, and it does have the similar uh, again, like Ruby. You've got the ability to say, "I want this version of this module." Yeah, right. Exactly. And so you can. So if somebody's moved on and changed something and you don't like it, yeah, you can say, "I want this version of it," and you know, and then you've got you've tagged your application to use that version, and it won't increment as the package increments. Yeah. So. We've got a, a, a bunch of node war stories here that I want to get to. Uh, one of which is my experience. So I'm working on this project right now called Zentext, which is a system that eliminates spam from SMSs. And it's not something you would run on your phone, though. It's something that runs at the, at the carrier. So it's sort of a carrier-grade uh, SMS spam solution. And the front end for this, in other words, the way that the SMS system notifies the spam system of a message and then gets a result is all done through HTTPS. And that, I've, uh, that front end is stood up through Node. And it's literally maybe a 50-line script that, that runs this. And I mean, it, it's, it's going at a serious clip. I mean, it's uh, well over 1,000 messages a second this thing is doing. So in, in HTTP, that's not really all that much. But, you know, suffice it to say, we're, 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 we're throwing quite some load at the system. It's doing lots of other things as well. So there's a little Node app. You just, you just create a server. Uh, the Node just keeps running until that server dies uh, or, or, you know, goes out of scope or something or you shut it down. Uh, and so it just kind of starts up and the, the, the browser event loop, like we've talked about on previous shows is now just, uh, the event loop that you have inside your, your app and you can do network stuff and respond to things that happen. Uh, so, so I set this up and I got this going and, and I, I was running a node node is just going to run essentially in, in one process. All of your events are going on all in one process and it, it, started to knock over. So Node is still kind of young. Node is at uh, version 0.10 something. It's, it's pretty young. And it, it started to fall over in an interesting way. It started, uh, uh, you know, running out of, uh, you know, I guess running out of connections or something like this or, or file handles or something uh, when I was running all in one process. And as it turns out, there's this really nice little uh, ability, it's called cluster, where you can just tell Node to fork a bunch of processes, one for each processor that you have, and then the main uh, file descriptors for the uh, connections coming in and out are going to be on the master node process, and then uh, it can vend that all out. So it kind of cleverly handles the multiprocessor requirement. It's kind of interesting. It's all still very event-based, and it's all still very distributable. But uh, and, and obviously very high performance. But you're able to. So I solved that problem uh, just by just by turning clustering on. Uh, so it, while it's young, there's still some really uh, interesting interesting pieces to it. Yeah, I think one of the one of the key points that you sort of touched on, um, but needs some definition, is that Node is essentially a single process application. Yeah. So when you fire up a node application, there is no ability to say, you know, to add something to another thread and let it go run and then come back. Yeah. So if you, one of the biggest mistakes you, that 
you make when you're getting started with Node is to do blocking calls. Yeah. Uh, so if you, let's say you wanted to access a file on the file system, in traditional programming and even with Ruby or those kinds of applications, you would, you know, let's say you got a, a request for to your website to access a database. You would, typically, that would, the web server would spin up a thread for that request and... And then you would do all of the work on that thread and return the the response back. So I might show a list of customer orders or whatever, but that would all happen on a thread. And what happens in Node is that all of those things have to be done asynchronously, and they have to be done with JavaScript callbacks. Or yeah. because if I put a if I make that call to the database in Node and I don't do it asynchronously, and for whatever reason, the database is offline or it's slow, the yeah. entire node application stops. It's just going to sit there. While that request is being processed. Yeah. So, and what it, what it makes for at times is code that can be a bit unwieldy to figure out what's actually happening because you can get four and five callbacks deep yeah. on a particular thing. Yeah, hard to follow a little bit. Hard to follow, yeah. Hard to follow, okay, well, what's really happening and where's that callback coming back to? And But what Node does to solve that problem is that they essentially stack all of these callbacks up in a queue and they just execute them one after the other. And so that's how they achieve this massive scaling. But if, if for whatever reason, you decide that you want to make a traditional synchronous operation in your code, then if you do that wrong, first of all, it should never be done. But yeah. if you decided to do it, you run the risk of the entire application stopping while and it, it blocks everything while yeah. that request is being served. So, so the, the way that it would work then in the in the database case is you bake the request of the database and then you pass in in the request to the database initially, you pass a function of what you're supposed to do with the result when it comes back. That's right. So that's how that queuing happens. So you yep. see all, you know, if you're familiar at all with JavaScript, you see function this, function that. So whenever you're, you're you know, usually these are anonymous functions, means they have no name. So you say the callback is, is you know, function and then a whole bunch of code and then close. So what your code ends up looking like is everything sort of is stacked. Uh, you're, you're, you're in a function here to do something with the database and the result of the database is yet again, another function. Uh, so it, it can get slightly unwieldy to follow. However, if you, if you're good, if you code well and you have, you have, you kind of have a discipline about the way that you, uh, you know, where you break things into functions and, and you know, how deep you're going to go and all this, and, and you, you handle it carefully, it's, it's very good. It's very, uh, it's both read, readable and performant at the same mm -hmm. time. Um, so another project that I was uh, working on, just kind of kicking around, is this, uh, this thing I call Disruptor. Actually, that's the NPM name for it. That's... Basically, what I'm trying to do is, because Node is JavaScript, I have a, a server that runs, and it's a peer-to-peer -peer system. So I have a server that runs in JavaScript, and it knows about other peers. Essentially, when you start it, you tell it, tell it about at least one other peer. And then it goes to that peer and finds out what peers it knows about, and eventually everybody knows about everybody. And all these peers are kind of pinging each other. So this is I have this up and running right now. 
the long-term intent for this is because the whole system is JavaScript, I can just pass some JavaScript into it. And now imagine if you had 10 machines and you're running a peer on each one and you went to one of those peers and you said, hey, here's some JavaScript that I want you to run, but I want everybody to run it. That peer goes to all the peers that it knows. It opens connections to all the peers that it knows. It sends that code. Uh, and then those, you know, each of those machines run that code. Now, now, this is just assuming that this code takes a long time to run. Maybe you're, maybe you're, uh, you know, crunching some, some, uh, you know, maybe you're trying to do Bitcoin mining or something, or you're trying to uh, do stream processing of some sort, or you're trying to break up a database across ten machines, for example. Uh, each machine takes the code and runs it on the slice of data that they have, or uh, grabs the data however they need to, and just kind of you know crunches it, and then the results go back to the first node that that requested it, and then that node sews them all up and sends them back to the client that that originally asked. This is a way to make a distributed system uh, that works in a common language that everybody knows and is very easy to set up and get going on all your nodes because it's just, you know, it's just all you need is node installed on the thing and then npm install disruptor and then you just say peer and then you give it an, uh, an IP and a, and a port and then some, somebody else's IP and port and it's up and going. And now you, now you can use all the resources on that machine in this one little peer. Uh, so so I, I made this little little package and the the you know the lofty intents of it are to eventually get to a distributed hash table and maybe a, a distributed file system but that's that's sort of way down the road um that's so, going to be yeah. a cool little project i love the idea of being able to essentially send data and instructions to n number of machines and all of them can go to work on it and just return me back whatever they find yeah. or whatever they come up with. Yeah. And I might wait around for all of them. I might wait around for just the first one. It doesn't really matter. Right. I love that. I love the idea of being able to say, here's here's some data and here's some here's something to do with that data. Tell me when you're done. Yeah. Go go for it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, really and, cool. Yeah. So so I I've the the initial reason to to build this thing was was right back to the first thing I was talking about the Zentext spam uh, system. So I, I actually have implemented uh, the the spam learner essentially in Node. So to be able to distribute that across any number of peers and uh, just kind of get them up up and going without much. Uh, work just two lines get get node running and then npm install disruptor and then you know start it start your peer up uh, is where I wanted to get I mean I'm I've I'm coming out of a world where uh, I have you know I've got Cassandra running I have Storm going I've Red Storm on top of that JRuby uh, and then a whole bunch of code in Ruby all the Java stuff from how to do machine learning I mean it's it's a nightmare to set up a single <laughs> peer. And so I just I just needed a way to have a single peer really really simply with everything you needed in in one little package. So that's that's the idea behind Disruptor. Still working on it. It's very very young. You can go check it out. It's uh, GitHub.com/Anders94/Disruptor, uh, or you can npm install Disruptor, but you'll get an older version of it. Um, so yeah, watch it. Be yeah, fun. I think it's that's a cool one. And for for anybody that thinks that. Node is not commercial grade yet. I went to a 
really cool presentation here in Durham. Uh, this was probably what three four weeks ago now by this company Adzerk, yeah. which is uh, which is basically just an ad serving company. So they do targeted uh, ads and really cool company. But they serve. I forget what the number is, some insane number of ads per day. I want to say a billion, but that's probably the wrong number. Yeah. yeah. But they, so they were originally running in .NET, and I believe they, they were running in Mono, if I'm not mistaken. Right. And they have since converted to Node, and their system processes something like, something on the order of 800 requests a second at peak, which is a big number. When you're talking about doing logic to figure out what ad to serve and and the way they've solved some of the performance problems is really cool. Yeah. But they but they it's all written in Node and if you go to nodejs.org you'll you'll see that there are legitimate companies like LinkedIn, Microsoft, Yahoo, like legitimate companies are in this space now and doing very real things. And of course you've got Joyent who was kind of the uh, the I guess they were the company that started this whole thing. And they're just a fantastic hosting company for Node apps if you're into that, if you don't want to host your own thing. And I think the other thing that's important to talk about is I don't think we're saying, you know, that you should scuttle, if you're a Rails developer or a Ruby developer, you should scuttle all of that and go jump on the Node bandwagon. Obviously, Ruby <laughs> and Rails, uh, very, they've got a ton of traction. They're very uh, mature. Very mature and a great, 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 great framework and community. Yeah. And if you're interested in Node and you've been a, a Ruby guy or Rails guy, there's a there's a there's a package called Compound JS, which makes a Node app look and feel a lot like a Rails app. It's got all the same syntax, and we'll put links to all of this stuff with uh, with the with this podcast up on our website at 353rd.com. That's 350third.com. If you want to go and Look at some of these resources by yourself. The last thing I'll tell you is I, I took some time to build a starter app which uses Node, Compound.js, and some of the pa- uh, package called Passport.js, which gives you authentication via Google, Facebook, and some other things. And I believe Twitter's in there as well. But it's just a really simple starter web application that has a public-private framework Really simple to get started with, and that's actually on my GitHub repository, which I'll which I'll will provide links to as a part of as a part of posting this show. Yeah, the, it's a fantastic little package. Kind of gets you up to speed very quickly because, and and Scott made this because uh, you were you were doing uh, the same thing. You know, every time we would come up with a new Node package, a new Node app that we're we're working on, a new. Uh, uh, you know, website or whatever it was, we keep doing the same things over and over. And so, this framework uh, or this this uh, I guess you know kind of get you up to speed and going with with other frameworks. Sort of a everything kind of merged together and and uh, f- you know fitting nicely. Uh, it's a it's a great sample app. It kind of gives you what you need to get going with all the bells and whistles kind of tuned and, and honed right uh, so it's really great well we'll have a link link to it on uh, 353rd.com yep so well that's uh, that's the show that we have for you uh, all node all the time uh, yeah we'll, we're big fans and yeah I, it's gonna I think the more 
we dig in, the more shows we're going to do about it. That's my guess because it's just so compelling. The Node is eating the world. I'm sorry. It's just like, do you find it in absolutely everything now? It just seems to be leaking out everywhere, uh, yep. which I'm a big fan, but it's uh, really taking over. I, I never, I don't sketch things up in, in, in other languages now. It's always, it always seems to be Node. I always go to Node now. And that happened quick. You know, Absolutely. I, it's, it's just, it's amazing. Anyway, so uh, you can reach me on Twitter. I'm Anders94. You can reach Scott Barstow on Twitter. He is at Scott Barstow. And 353rd is also on Twitter. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening.